So before we jump in, just thought maybe we should take a moment because the, the world is a heavy place to be. Um, there's a lot happening in the world right now. It feels like once you start to get your bearings on one thing that's going on, there's like 10 other things that have started up. Um, and also, what I, at least in my own experience, and I bet this is true for you, um, when the world is kind of going absolutely bananas, uh, your own personal world doesn't go like, oh, cool, I'll give you a break while the world's going bananas, and we'll pick this back up later. Um, our lives, still things happen. We still have our own struggles, our own challenges, our own grief, our own all sorts of things going on. So I thought maybe... Um, and also on a Sunday morning, I don't know what your Sunday mornings are like, but mine are generally like wake up and immediately start running at about 100 miles an hour. And I bet that's true. Like you're here. That means at some point you woke up and made some decisions about how you were going to spend your day. And I just wonder how many of us come in and sit down and we're like, ah. So can we just do that for a second together? <laughs> just like, ah. Like just take a moment. Yeah, just take a moment. Like if you need to shake it off, uh, Taylor Swift style, that's cool, like whatever that is for you. And I thought maybe I would just offer a brief, uh, brief prayer to kind of give us a moment to center and ground, ground and all, all that. So let's pray. Um, as we've just been reminded that at the center of all that is, there is this goodness, this generosity, this compassion, this grace, this love that through all of our experiences on this planet, through all of our violence, through all of our selfishness and stinginess, through all the ways we keep trying to take this human project on earth off the rails, there is this love that is calling us to our best selves. May we heed that voice today. This morning, as we um, try to just prepare ourselves, open ourselves, we begin by centering ourselves. And so we just want to acknowledge this morning that in this space right now, online, right now, there are people who are processing all sorts of pain and grief and loss. There are people who are bringing all sorts of joy and excitement and possibility, and we're all here together and we are on a planet that is spinning in the galaxy right now in this solar system and all over this planet there are people bringing uh, grief and joy there are people who are struggling for survival and so we acknowledge this morning the diversity of human experience and we long to be part of healing and goodness and love being spread further and further into this world. So give us wisdom. Create an openness and a sensitivity in our hearts to join that work, we pray. Yes. And everybody said, amen. amen. So we are in a series uh, called A Crash Course on Progressive Christianity. And what I keep saying, because I want to make sure it's really clear, is that this is not an exhaustive series. That would take a really long time. This is sort of a, just here are some of the high points. These are the Cliff's Notes um, about progressive Christianity. And we've uh, really done this series for a couple of reasons. One is a reminder for some of us. And two, uh, there are lots of people joining us all the time who are like, can you explain a little more about progressive Christianity? And it, I'm explaining my version of progressive Christianity. 
Christianity. One of the things that I believe is completely true, contrary to what you've heard come out of newly minted speakers of the house, there is no such thing as a biblical worldview, and there is no such thing as a Christian worldview. There are biblical worldviews, because there are lots of them in the Bible, and there are Christian worldviews. There are just about as many worldviews as there are Christians, right? Because nobody Christians exactly the same way. We all do our own things. We all make our own decisions. So I'm giving you my lens, the lens that I lead with here at Grace Point, the lens that has formed our community here at Grace Point. Um, and if you hear something in the series that you don't like, that's cool. Uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to agree with me. Um, but I hope what does happen is that maybe for some of us, this will give us a little bit of language to explain our, our hints and guesses and intuitions about how all this may be might be able to work. And so um, we, we know what we can't believe or affirm anymore. And what we're trying to sort through is what can we say positively? What do we, and but does anybody else feel weird about the word believe? Is it just me? Like, I feel like what, what is believe? Like, it feels like trying to like nail jello to the wall. But this idea of like, here, here are, here's where we land conviction wise currently. Here's what we think about things, knowing that it's always open for refinement um, the only thing I do believe deep in my bones is nothing I've shared with you in this series or will share. If I'm wrong, and I'm wrong on something, it is not because um, we didn't stay back here. It is because we have not fully moved into love as deeply as we can possibly go. And that's what we're trying to do, to move closer and closer to love. And so today I want to talk about something um, uh, a facet of progressive Christianity, and that is progressive Christianity seeks to be a just and generous faith tradition. I want to talk about what that means. What does it mean to be just and generous? Um, and I want to begin just by acknowledging the previous lens, the lens that I grew up with, the lens that many of us did, which is that the whole point of faith, the whole point of belief, the whole point of being a Christian was really about getting out of this world. Anybody else grow up with that lens or have that lens inherited? You inherited that lens? Like the whole point of life is to make the right decisions, to sign up for the right doctrines so that someday, either when Jesus comes back or when you leave this world, that you go to heaven when you die. Like it's the entire point of faith in the lens I grew up with was to get out of here. Um, you, you know, so you don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. You, you want to go to heaven. That's the point. And we, that, that permeated everything for us. It permeated all of our theology. It permeated all of the sermons. And it even permeated our music. Um, and there was a song I remember growing up in the Free Will Baptist Church. That we had these hymnals called the Heavenly Highway Hymnal. Uh, and within, does anybody know that hymnal? That feels like a deep cut, doesn't it? Like, not a lot of people are going to know that hymnal. Um, but there was a song in there, and the song was called, I Can't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. And the song began with this line, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Um, when actually, this is our home. And, and so what we've come to understand is that previous lens that was all about evacuation was grounded in some really unfortunate theology. And the lens we're operating from now is that God's dream is not that we would abandon earth for heaven, um, but that we would essentially bring the life of heaven to earth. And by the way, heaven doesn't mean a place beyond the clouds where there are little angel babies with harps on clouds and none of that. What heaven means in the scriptures is that's not talking about a geographic place. It's talking about essentially where God's will is done where God's justice is done, where God's love is present. And so heaven is not about abandoning the world in the scriptures. Heaven is about joining God to make this world a certain kind of place. Heaven is not a place, but it is a way in scripture. 
It is a way of being. So to say that progressive Christianity is about seeking a just and generous faith means that we understand that what the word God is pointing to or what the word God is a metaphor for, um, and we could have like 27 million weeks on what the word God means, um, and there are probably just as many opinions as there are people in the room. Um, but this idea, whatever God means to you, that this idea of God is, has a passion for justice, that God cares about justice being done on earth, and that this God also has an abundant kind of generosity toward everything and every one. So I want to look at those two things, justice, God being just, their tradition being just, and generous. Um, this idea, I, I grew up with an idea of God being just, but usually what it meant is God is just, and because you're a bad sinner, God's justice means God has to torture you forever and ever. Um, and I really never could compute how justice could be infinite punishment for finite crime, right? Like that whole idea of God tortures people for eternity for something they did for 75, 80, 90, 120. I mean, if you hit 120, you're, kill, you're killing it. You're doing it. Um, you're... you're Really, but even 120 years, think about it, 120 years, and then you get eternity as a punishment? How is that even remotely just? I think for us to understand God's justice, we have to begin to recalibrate what we think about the word justice. And I bet when most of us hear the word justice, we think of it through the lens of retribution, retributive justice. What is justice? Well, justice is somebody who's done something wrong getting what they deserve. It's about being punished, Right? We've built an entire criminal justice system in the, this country that is really just about punishing people for things that they've done that broke the law. It doesn't actually generally seek to bring wholeness. It doesn't seek to repair. It doesn't seek to bring healing. It's just like, you're bad. We're going to punish you. And that is really because that is the lens we've had for God. God is angry at us because we have done the wrong thing, and God's justice means we need to be punished. But actually, that doesn't seem to be the way that our tradition understands God. It doesn't seem... Now, some parts of our tradition, of course, there are passages in the Scripture where it seems like God really wants to punish people, uh, and people interpret their experiences as God's punishment. That's true. That's in the Bible. That's not the only lens that's in the Bible. There's this lens that we see in Jesus and the other prophets, uh, many of the other prophets, that sees God's justice not as retribution, but as restoration. God ultimately cares about bringing healing and wholeness and repair to situations that have brought pain and agony into the world. And I get that it sounds, like when people hear that, like, that just, that sounds really nice, but does it ever really work? Um, I think if, if it seems like Jesus signed up for it, I think Jesus believed it could work, that there's a way to be human. There's a way to deal with the problems of humanity that is not retributively based, where the point is not just getting even. Has anybody, you don't have to raise your hand here, but like, just give me a knowing look. Um, anybody here ever gotten revenge on somebody before, even in a small way? It feel really good in the moment did, didn't it? Like they said something about you and you said something about them that was way better, worse than what they said about you. And they are dealing with way more reputational damage than you are. And there's a moment where you feel like, yeah, I feel really good about that. But then you realize as it goes on, like that actually didn't scratch the itch. I'm still angry. I'm still hurt. I'm still upset. I'm still grieving. Like I got even, whatever even, like I got eye for an eye. And now it just still feels like there's something left wanting. 
I think it's because the, the human way isn't really eye for an eye. The human way is bringing healing and wholeness. And we too often live beneath the human way. Now, the way I was sort of taught to approach justice as a Christian, especially when it comes to things like we would talk about social justice. Um, there's like God's justice, but then there's social justice. And that's, that's caring about the problems in the world. And that's a good thing if there's time. If there's time. Make sure you believe all the right things. Make sure you've signed up to go to heaven when you die. And if you have time in your busy schedule, yeah, sure, do something that's socially justice-oriented. But it was, never the, it was never central to my faith growing up. Does that make sense? It was sort of like over here, and that if we could occasionally do something, like go on a mission trip somewhere else, and then feel really good about the work we did and how we helped those people over there, and we would feel great. Like, look at us being social justice Christians. And then we would come back home, pat ourselves on the back, and do nothing else for a year, right? Like, that sort of approach to, it's nice to think about social justice, but it really isn't something central to our faith. It's just kind of a tangential piece of what it means to be a person of faith, to be a Christian. And then there's this other false narrative that goes around, which is we really have to keep religion and politics separate. And what's interesting about that is, if, I think if we were to sit down with Jesus and we were to say, Jesus, it's really important that you keep your political beliefs and your faith separate. I don't think he would understand what either one of those words meant. Because in the ancient world, they had this understanding that we, we've tried to like sophisticate ourselves out of, but they're really actually right. And that is, whatever your political beliefs are and whatever your faith beliefs are, they're the same thing. And that's true about your economic beliefs too. They all work together. They, they legitimate one another. I know lots of people who have supported lots of terrible things because they thought it, it was supported by their faith. Right? And I know people who have felt like they had to go against their faith to support something really beautiful because it seemed like their faith was against it. And the truth is, our politics, well, because the word politics, it just means how we order our common life. I mean, that's what, that's what politics actually is about. Like, how do we make decisions about how we're going to run the world together? We have this planet, we're all sharing it, some of us better than others, but we're all sharing it. How do we ensure that we're doing it in a way that is just, generous, and compassionate? Or how do we ensure that we're doing it in a way that benefits a small group of people and then punishes another group of people or, or, or uh, blames another group of people for their own issues when actually the system is creating the problem to begin with, right? So this is why sometimes we dip into the, what people would say the realm of politics here. Now, my hope is that, and I think what people maybe mean or what they hope to mean is partisanship, like where you just end up supporting one person or one group or one party or one thing, regardless of how bad the rest of it is, that you don't offer balanced critique when somebody's doing something wrong or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. What we're saying is there is a way that the world is running right now, and it's not working for most people on the planet. And that is not just a political issue. That is an issue of faith, because so often we vote how we, what we believe. And if we are being given an understanding of faith that is grounded in retribution or grounded in the idea that God doesn't really care as much about the problems of the world as God does getting people out of the world, then we'll end up supporting a lot of things that aren't very good for the planet and aren't good for the people on the planet. That's how this ends up working. I also grew up with this idea that there's a social gospel and then there's the real gospel. The real gospel is what you believe. The social gospel is what you dabble in 
to prove that you really believed that well. Um, but the truth is, the more I study, the more I read the words of Jesus, the more I wrestle with this, the more I think that actually there is just this, this gospel and it has social implications. And it's not, um, the social implications are not how to create a Christian nationalist empire in the United States of America. The social implications should be, what do we do to make sure that people who are sick can get health care? What do we do so people are, who are hungry can be fed? What do we do so people unhoused can be housed? And not just like charity. Um, I love what John Dominic Crossan says, like we have accepted charity as being the highest moral value when really justice should be the highest moral value. Charity is what we do to feel better about not having a just world. Um, and he's like, keep doing charity until we fix it. Because we need to fix it. We need to make this world more just and generous. The Bible presents God really, we talk about how there are different images of God in the Bible. And what's interesting is most of the images of God in the Bible center this God on justice. Now, the way God behaves is different depending on what you're reading. Um, but this idea that God cares about justice. And very early on in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 3, um, God appears to this guy named Moses who's out shepherding through the burning bush. We, this is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible just because it's so rich and resonant. Um, and God appears to this Moses and says to Moses, who has escaped Egypt, but his siblings are all enslaved in Egypt. This God appears to Moses and says, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them. And in the ancient world, this was such a dramatic swerve to how the gods typically behaved. Um, we hear this even in our own country, even recently, that, that God puts the people in power in power. Now, that's only used when it benefits certain groups of people, right? Like, like one, they're in power, you know, God puts people in power, and then they're like, their election was rigged. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we only use this when it's to our benefit. Um, but this idea that God puts the powerful in power, so to, re, to push back on anybody in power is ultimately to push back on God. This happens at the political level. This happens at the religious level. How many of you ever were in a situation where you felt like you had a religious leader and that if you disagreed with them at all, your belonging was at stake? Because if you push back, if you doubt, if you question, if you don't say absolutely yes to everything, the person up front is saying that somehow your belonging is in jeopardy. We do this when it's favorable to us. It's how the ancient world operated. Pharaoh's in power because God, the gods put Pharaoh there. So this idea of this God being concerned not about those in power and legitimating those in power, but this God hearing the cries of the oppressed is a pretty new idea in the ancient world, transformative idea. Prophets like Amos, my, one of my favorite prophets, pick up on this. And actually through the mouth of Amos, Amos has God say some pretty interesting things for the ancient world and even ours. In Amos 5, God says, I hate, I despise your festivals. Not the fall festivals though. Um, God, God really loves the fall festivals. Um, there's actually a footnote in there that if you go down in the original language, it says fall festivals are sort of grandparented in uh, to this. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. 
Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will, not look, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God essentially, um, I have a, a friend on Twitter who has a Twitter account uh, called Almighty God. Does anybody follow Almighty God on Twitter? Does, does Almighty God follow you? Um, um, but this side, so this, this particular Twitter account, like every Sunday we'll post church is canceled today and then give a reason like church is canceled today for brunch. Uh, church is canceled today because it does really bad things in the world, right? That sort of thing. Um, and the reality is what God is actually saying through the prophet here, what the prophet is putting on God's lips is church is canceled today because of injustice, because God cares more about justice being done on earth than God does about God's fan club getting together and telling God how great God is. God is more concerned with the action of justice than God is that we get together and sing the songs and do the ritual and the routine. And then we come to Jesus. In Luke chapter four, Jesus is in his hometown giving his sermon in his hometown synagogue. And he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah 61. And this is how Jesus ends up summing up his work, what he's about. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what's interesting is there's a line right after that in that Isaiah text that says, in the day of vengeance of our God, and on the fly, Jesus edits it out which is kind of awesome, isn't it? It's like Jesus gets to it, he's like, oh, that part's not very good. This is not a day of vengeance, it's a day of jubilee. It's a day of justice, it's a day of healing, it's a day of compassion, it's a day of liberation. We don't need God to be vengeful. What we need God to do is bring healing and wholeness and justice to earth. So I believe, personally, that to follow Jesus is to care deeply about the world and to work to create a world where human flourishing is possible for everybody. I think that's what it means to follow Jesus. I think that's our call, which means then not only are we a people of justice, but not vengeful justice, but restorative justice, but we're also a people of generosity. I love that when Jesus talks about God, he doesn't talk about God in any of the scarcity mentality ways that my approach to God was marked by throughout most of my life. There's only so much to go around. Like, if you want an example of this, in about five weeks, four weeks, we're going to have just celebrated Thanksgiving in the United States. And the very next day, people are going to show up at department stores and fight each other over flat screen. Are there anything other than flat screen now? Is that a dated reference? They're going to fight each other over TVs. <laughs> we are so thankful that I'm willing to punch a stranger to get that deal. Right? Like, r- Really? But I think that's our model for humanity so much is there's only so much to go around. There's only so much love. There's only so much goodness. There's only so much food. And what we find out is that our planet could actually sustain a couple more billion people than it is with nobody being hungry. And yet we live in a world where a good chunk of the planet is starving to death because we have chosen to believe there's not enough to go around. And as our dear friend uh, and uh, drag queen and CCM megastar, Flamey Grant says, um, you were afraid there was not enough, but you actually can't run out of love. 
right? This idea that there's not enough goodness to go around is not grounded in God. It's grounded in a scarcity mentality that causes us to look at our neighbors with suspicion and causes us to rate ourselves and our value based on how we measure up on a socioeconomic scale compared to everybody else. And it means we'll do whatever it takes to be a little bit ahead of everybody else. I mean, again, it's why people bought, and the weirdest flex maybe, so much toilet paper for a respiratory virus. Um, do you remember seeing this happen? Like you would go to the grocery store and they were out of toilet paper. And I was like, is there something else going on that I don't know about? And if so, what happens when we run out? You know what I mean? Like, like just, is this really? But we, we get afraid. And when we get afraid, we have no good ideas. And so many of us were indoctrinated with fear being the primary motivator for the reason we do everything. And so we create a planet where we believe there's just not enough. And yet Jesus, in his earthly ministry, when he would do his deal, his needs were, you know how Jesus' needs were met? By the generosity of other people. And he actually sends his disciples out to go do ministry. And he's like, hey, don't take anything. Don't take extra. Don't take cash. Don't take anything. You're going to depend on the hospitality and generosity of the people around you to do. Don't play in the the economic system of the empire to make this work. Let other people support you and care for you. Jesus had this understanding that God cares about the birds, that God cares about the flowers, and this same God cares about us. And through the way Jesus did his ministry, when he sits people down in groups and he takes a little bit of food and feeds a whole lot of people, we can have long debates and discussions about how literal that story is, but I think at least one of the lessons of that story is if we organize ourselves and everybody shares, there is enough to go around because Jesus' lens for God was one of abundance. If I share and you share and we share, there will be enough for everyone. I think the way that progressive Christianity can distinguish itself as a more just and generous uh, tradition is by not just focusing on our beliefs alone, but also engaging practically in practice. Um, I think it's very easy for us to, it's, it's very easy for me, I won't put this on you, it's very easy for me to get lost in the reimagining faith piece of this where we're talking about what we no longer believe and what we now believe, and it ends up just becoming an exercise of the head. And we're gonna talk about this more next week. But it ends up getting lodged here, and it's primarily just like what we came out of in doctrines and propositions, as opposed to, oh no, we are coming to this understanding that God is just and generous, that God has a restorative justice and concern for the world and that God's generosity, if it's going to flow through to the world, it's going to come through us. Because here's the deal. Anytime I've ever had a need, anytime I've ever been uh, in a bind and something has happened and something has come through, whatever it was, never was postmarked from the heaven. It always came through flesh and blood human beings. Because if God is going to change the world, if God is going to feed the hungry, if God is going to do justice on earth, it is not going to be through an act of just divine intervention where God shows up and says, move, I'll fix it. But it is through human hearts that are open and aware and seek to join God by putting our money where our mouth is, by putting our energy and our effort where our mouth is, and actually doing justice in the world. We we need to deconstruct another thing, and that is deconstructing the idea that talking is the point. And that figuring out what we believe is actually the point. Because what I found is every time I figure out what I believe, it changes. Not because I'm wishy-washy, but because I'm awake. 
And I keep encountering other people. And it keeps stretching my understanding of what the word God means or who Jesus is or what it means to be a, a good human being or what it means to be a part of human flourishing in the world. I keep having experiences that say your lens is still too narrow. It needs to expand and expand and expand. And I think that's what the invitation here is to generosity. It's to realize that we are being invited quite literally. We always dabble in metaphor. We're being invited quite literally to be the presence of the divine in the world. The, the, the way God will care for our neighbors is not by just popping in, but it's through showing up in us. Does that make sense? And so what we're trying to create here at Grace Point and in this progressive Christian movement is a movement that really cares about justice. Not, not, not anger, not vengeance, but restorative justice and generosity. And we live in a, on a planet that desperately needs justice. And that work requires the ability to nuance. Right? What we're seeing continuing to develop in the Middle East right now, where you have all sorts of things happening at once. You have a terrorist organization like Hamas doing terrible things that should be condemned. You have an Israeli government that is using this often as cover to do other things and have been doing other things for, for a long time to the Palestinian people. You have a rise of anti-Semitism where people are using what's happening in the Middle East to justify the hatred of our Jewish siblings. And it's happening all over the country and it's a, it's a really scary moment for our Jewish siblings and they need our support. And in the middle of all this, we have innocent Palestinian civilians and Israeli civilians who are caught in the crossfire. Justice does not look like one group of people being eradicated. Justice looks like figuring out a way to share the earth. And my hope is that bad theology about biblical prophecy will not be the thing that shapes what happens in the Middle East, but that an understanding that every human being deserves the right to live free and unafraid of being destroyed simply because somebody doesn't think they should exist. That's the world we long to create. And so, yeah, we need to focus on theology because so much of what's happening in the world right now is being driven by a fatalist, bad Christian theology. America's foreign policy for a long time has been driven by belief in we need the world to go to hell in order to bring heaven. When it seems like what Jesus taught was if you want the world to become heaven, feed your neighbor, care for the sick, visit the lonely, show up as an actual human being in the world and be the presence of the divine, doing the divine work of caring for our neighbors and our enemies all around us. Are you with me? Yeah, so let's do what we've been doing. Um, it is, okay, let's, we'll do 10 minutes again this week. Um, but we, we've sort of been breaking this down for conversation. So if there's something that's come up today that you want to engage more about, you have a question, or if there's something in the previous weeks, that's fine too. Happy to engage that. In two weeks, the last week of this series, this whole thing is just going to be question and response. So if you think of it later, don't, don't, don't feel like, ah, I missed my chance. You, abundant chances. Uh, so, yeah, does anybody want to, and, and Adam, if you don't mind to check the online, anybody have a question, comment? I just wanted to comment, uh, to bring it into the business world, so to speak. I was, um, I was a leader in a large hospital. I mean, I was one of many leaders. It's not like I was a leader of a hospital. But anyway, 
the way that sounded. Um, anyway, um, it, it, we, we got together, and it must have been 55, 60 people all in the large room trying to figure, we were going to the leadership, we were going to come up with the values of the hospital. And it was so interesting because half the room wanted to use the word justice, and the other half wanted to use mercy. And I couldn't help but think about this. I was on the mercy side, I thought. But I couldn't help think about this because of our American version of justice is so toxic that if you use the word justice without mercy right next to it or before it, you've got a real toxic situation on your hands. And that's America. Yes. We want justice. By God, it better be justice. Well, we actually want revenge. Yeah, you think? Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, and that's what's been interesting to watch this situation play out um, in Israel-Palestine is how remarkably similar it is to what happened in America after 9-11, where we ended up using this to justify 20 years of multiple front wars. Um, and it, it, at the end of it, what did we— re- I mean, we even got—they even killed Osama bin Laden, and at the end of it, it still felt like, what a— it didn't bring anybody back. And the world is still a dangerous place. And yeah, we're still grieving. And so I think you're right. I, I think that well, the problem is, when we think justice, because it's so rooted in punishment and revenge, what we can't hear is, when somebody who is oppressed hears justice, they are thinking, oh my gosh, somebody's going to help us. Right, so, so the cry of the oppressed for God, God, do justice is God liberate, it's, it's, the, it's the Israelites in Egypt crying out to God, will you send a liberator? Um, and what justice ultimately is in that context is mercy, right? What, what justice is in feeding someone who's hungry is mercy. What justice is in housing, creating affordable housing is mercy and compassion. And so I think we are continually, and this is, this is why I feel like to say one phrase, I have to say 400, because we, we still embrace this Christian label, um, partly out of stubbornness, and, and the rest of it is because uh, of our commitment to this Jesus story. But we embrace this Christian label, and people are using, we're using the Christian language very differently than our other Christian siblings are using. So we have to continually say, here's what we don't mean, here's what we mean. And I think, you're, I think it's very important to be clear. When we, want, when we say we want to be a just tradition, it doesn't mean we want to make people different than us pay. It means we want to join God in creating, because most of the violence in the world is grounded in some injustice somewhere, somehow. And so what does it look like to actually take away the cause of war, as opposed to just trying to remedy this? It's, it's, you know, I, I knew somebody once who, um, they were a new parent, and they weren't real sure, and they, they had this assumption that when their kid got sick, if they just gave the kid Tylenol, that it would take care of it. They didn't realize you actually have to go to the doctor and get treatment to actually deal with whatever the thing is. And I think what we, you know, when we talk about peace so often, we've so cliched it that what we're, what we're doing is we're just giving Tylenol to somebody with a fever, but we're not actually dealing with the fact that they have strep throat or you know, any number of, or COVID or whatever it is. Um, so I think it's important for us to actually begin to deal with the root of those issues. And, and that looks like mercy, yeah. What else? Anything online, Adam? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I've heard a concept uh, similar to what you're talking about. 
Hi. In uh, progressive spaces, it's called transformative justice. Mm -hmm. And and the idea is like justice should not be retributive or uh, restorative. Even it should be transformative. So we need to, like like you're describing, talk about, look at the things uh, in the systems that cause the harm to happen and to fix those causes, right? Yep. Um, I'm also interested in like the problem, like that whenever I talk to people about this kind of work, the sense of like exhaustion and being overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if like you felt that there's something in Christianity that can help people uh, manage those feelings of being so small in systems that are so big. Yeah. I mean, I think so there are human beings that behave poorly in the world, but ultimately um, the problem we're facing is a systemic human issue. And it's not one we create. I mean, this has been a human issue for a long, long time, right? This idea of, of power and wealth and control and using violence to maintain order and all of those sorts of things. And so, I, you know, fatigue is a real thing. Um, I feel like, you know, one of the things that we would have done in my previous days uh, in conservative church is if somebody had fatigue, we would shame them for it. Instead of saying... Um, it's sort of that, that uh, when you're on the airplane, um, they only do this to me when I have one of my kids with me, but they'll be like, hey, dad, put your mask on first. And I'm like, oh, sure, I will. And like deep down, I'm like, probably not. I'm probably going to do that. But I get the idea, right? You have to get your own airflow or else you'll be out and you can't help anybody else. So I think, one, having a rhythm and a practice of rest is important. Uh, two, I do think there's, you know, the enormity of it can feel like, where can I even begin to make a dent in the problems of the world. And the fact is, and the truth is, it may seem insignificant, but it really is just doing the next thing in front of you. Um, and bad things can snowball, right? Good can snowball. Good can pick up a head of steam. Good can become um, the next big thing, right? So uh, there is this sense of, my gosh, our energy is depleted. Are we even making a difference? And we are making a difference for someone. And even if we're not able to get everything we want done in the moment, we are pushing the ball further towards justice. And so I think it's important to have a, a good practice of rest, but I think it's also important to be in communities together where we can figure out how to leverage. I'm one person, but we're, we're not. We're, we're several people. And what can we do? And what can the wider Grace Point Network do if we, all over the world, because that's where we're located, if we put our creativity, resources, and energy together? So I think it, it's realizing that the work of justice really is a team sport. Um, and we need each other for this way more than we can possibly begin to imagine. Anybody else? Has anybody else noticed the problem with people struggling with the ability to nuance? This has become a glaring problem. I mean, like the, the issues we're facing are not just these good guy, bad guy, this is cut and dry. That's just not how any of this works. And I think part of what maybe is a responsibility for a community like ours is to, is to help each other realize to, how to nuance, that the world is a really strange, difficult place, um, and it requires understanding and creativity if we actually want to make things better. Um, that's, that's been apparent in so many conversations I've had this week that we're struggling with nuance as a species. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, it makes me think about my work doing education research. We often like, would see that as like the, uh, the like if we'd succeeded, if we 
got people to see the nuance in a situation. Um, we had State Board of Education who thought, oh, if we want better teachers, we just need to raise um, the bar to entry. Well, then you oftentimes those tests for the bar to entry are racially biased. And so, or, you know, just getting people to see the nuance of things I think is hard, but it just, I, it takes conversation. It takes experiences. Um, I'm thankful to this community, I think, because it does, a lot, just getting to know people, I think, helps you see that. So I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So I actually just have a microphone. Oh, I was like, yes. <laughs> um, I personally just had a question, and that is, in, in a time like this, when we're dealing with things that are happening, like Israel and Palestine, I'm just curious if you have insight on where the responsibility lies between reactionary and responsive justice. Because, like, obviously something terrible can happen, like like bombings, like attacks from Palestine. And I think there's a, there's a need to be reactionary to be able to, like, help uh, help with those situations. But then also there's the response of justice, I think, that comes with the long-term problems that we've been seeing arise that we just haven't been aware of. So, like, how do you balance taking care of the current problem while also trying to solve the long-standing problems that are evident from the reaction? I think if I had the right response to that, I would not be in this room. I would be in the Situation Room. Um, and they haven't called me, thankfully. Um, I do think, you know, I, I do think part of the reason we, we, we end up seeing so much reaction in the world is because we, we aren't doing things on the front end to make peace the norm. Um, so, I mean, when you think about, you have these global military conflicts that end. Um, you, you have one group of people who beat another group of people sometimes. They make a treaty where this one group's like, we give up. But nothing has been done to actually deal with the problems that led to the conflict. It's just our guns were bigger, which means those conflicts simmer. And I mean, the, the conflict we're, we're seeing in the Middle East is not a modern phenomenon. It's an ancient phenomenon. Um, and so I, I think that there is, you know, it's the challenge. Like, what is Israel supposed to do when Hamas shoots rockets at them? Um, that's, a, that's a meaningful question. Um, on the other side, the reaction can lead to, let's just, we're just going to, bomb them until they don't exist, which is genocide. And so I think figure, having people who figure out what if, what if human flourishing was the lens here, how would we sort this out? And how do we do it, not when there's a conflict, but how do we do meaningful work for peace and justice so that the conflicts don't happen to begin with? It goes back to charity, right? Like, yes, everybody should practice charity, but what can we do to make sure that practicing charity is no longer needed? Because we have, and, and really the story in the Bible that, com, that comes to my brain with this is the story of Zacchaeus, who um, is this wealthy tax collector. He's Jewish, but he also is working for the empire that's oppressing his siblings. And his wealth is built off of doing injustice to his neighbors. And when Zacchaeus has this Jesus experience, what does he do? He immediately starts unloading his stuff because he realizes what he has done. Like, it can't just be, hey, I am sorry for everything I've done wrong to you. I will never do those things again. Now, I'm going to go to my yacht and enjoy a little R&R <laughs> to recover from apologizing to you. Um, it is Zacchaeus saying, and I need to make reparations, something we've never understood in this country. You can't just go, hey, we did a bad thing, sorry. 
Good luck. No, no, there, there needs to be repair because repair is how the work of justice is done, if that makes sense. So I think the reason we are reluctant to do those things as a planet and as a country is because we know that for justice to truly be done on this earth, it's going to cost me something personally. It will transform my lifestyle. And what we're ultimately saying is, I prefer the way I live as opposed to my neighbors having enough food to eat. Um, and I, I, listen, I'm, I'm not sitting up here on my high horse. I struggle with that too, right? Like, I want justice to be done also. <laughs> if that could happen with very little impact to the way I live my life, I'd prefer it. Um, that's just not how this ever works. There, but we also don't realize that when we make those difficult decisions as a people, um, it transforms society. Society becomes safer. Society becomes a different place in which we, we don't need that stock. We don't need to stockpile toilet paper because my neighbor has extra, so I'll just go ask them. Mm-hmm.